quiet numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Welcome. You're listening to the podcast. So there I was. This is episode 63. Get the money first. Good advice, Fig. Good advice, buddy. <laughs> yes, usual. it is. You know, yes. well, man does not disappoint. And uh, that that is, uh, well, you got to listen. You got to listen to find out why you get the money first. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And this is our lawman's becoming a regular, but that's a good thing. Well, it seems like the guy has more stories than we have time. Yeah. It seems yeah. like always. It's always good to have him on. And we're fortunate to be able to bring you a show this week. Let's talk about some of the people that helped make that happen. Well, I, I don't know about you. Uh, my family's big, big fan of Factor. Factormeals.com slash so there I was 50. And what is that? Well, it's meals that are ready to go. All you got to do is warm them up. And they have a great selection. And when we're tight on time, I'll tell you what, it's come in handy several times. Amen. I love me some Factor. Also, this week, we're doing another podcast show swap with the Twit Network. Twit, it's short for This Week in Technology. We'll talk more about that during the show. But if you're at all interested in Mac, Apple, iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch, any of that stuff, there, these are some shows for you to get a little better at using those products. But back to Lawman. Boy, was that some fun stuff. He had some stories about Westpac working with VMA 214, the Black Sheep Squadron, his deployment with them. Westpac is a Western Pacific. Yeah, they went on a float, right? They were on a MU, Marine Expeditionary Unit, and wow, visited some pretty... Um, well, you know, that's what you sign up to do when you go in the military, right? You want to see, go to exotic places. They actually right. went to Meet exotic exciting places. and exotic people, and they met some exotic people. And unfortunately for him, his experience <laughs> as a lawman got him tapped to keep the peace. We'll say no more than that. <laughs> yeah, not not a job no. anybody would ever want. He was tasked with a, uh, a truly uh, momentous task. Which he, uh, well, let's leave it at that. Challenging to say he tells a good story. And then it, it wasn't all aviation this time. We got some amazingly hilarious stories out of him about his time at the police academy. If you think the police academy movie was funny. It's, it's a, <laughs> right, right, yeah. Uh, he brought signs, it to real life. Call signs lawman for a reason. You know, he was an Arizona State Trooper before he ever went in the Marine Corps. And boy, he had he he tied in a couple of good stories at the end. He really did. He really did. Let's put it this way, though: they didn't issue him any running shoes at the academy. <laughs> That's a good story. It was a great story. Well, a let's get story. out of the way and let my man in the pond. Yeah. Let's get out of the way. Don't sit on the ejection seat handle, baby. In the world's smallest cock. Do it. Here's my man on the tanker through the weather. Oh, and to the uh, tanker crew who uh, did that. Thanks a lot. We really appreciated that. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. Well, there I was crossing the pond, and you could see that I wasn't exactly fun. So there I was. If I could, gentlemen, uh, start off with just uh, my own personal tribute to uh, Brian Scholl, who you had on recently. Indeed. And your timing was impeccable. 
to get that oh uh, gentleman and uh, national hero and treasure on your show. I knew Brian as well as a lot of people. Uh, as you know, he did a uh, book on the Blue Angels. I happened to be a uh, first-year pilot that year in 1994. And uh, he worked pretty hard to get in with the team, get his foot in the door and uh, sell what he was trying to do, which turned out to be a great tribute to the Blue Angels over the years. Probably, in my opinion, still the very best book ever on the team and how the team works, how we fly. And his photographs, of course, are impeccable. And and so I really uh, spent a lot of time with Brian Scholl, as did all my teammates in 1994, especially Dino. Uh, you got to try to get Dino on the show sometime. You know, he's, we'll he's one of the yeah. major. He's retired now. He might have some time on his hands. We need a contact. We need, a, um, we need you to hook us up. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pass it on. So Dino yeah. was really upset when I told him that Brian had passed on. He really took that personally. Did, uh, did he fly yeah, almost? He, uh, did he fly almost uh, exclusively uh, in the backseat with number four, or did he? Did he kind of move around a little bit? He, he mixed. He got some solo rides, uh, but mostly with number four. I mean, that's yeah. that's the best place to be. True, yeah. you know, and, and from a camera perspective, to see. Uh, the diamond and the delta, and then of course you got to you got to ride with the solos to get, to get a solo perspective. And he, and he was working hard. He's talked about in the book. He was really he had to work. He's an old fighter pilot, but he had to work on his G tolerance because you know nobody yeah. wears a G suit. If you're in the back seat, he's lugging film and camera. He's he, you're working harder in the back seat. You're not flying the jet, as we all know that. Oh, yeah, yeah. You could be right. a you could be a 28 year old fighter pilot. And you're in the back seat, no G suit, doing maximum you know limiter pulls. So he was working really hard. He was hitting the weights, working out, trying to get to where he could uh, stay awake yeah. uh, for a Blue Angel air show. And he did. It. Great guy, superb individual. He was quiet, you know, flying the wall uh, for the most part. After a while, he didn't notice he was there. But he was always taking notes, and he was right. doing more than we thought in terms of he took a lot of notes uh, and wrote a great book. So That uh, was one book. guy who did not know how to take no for an answer. He didn't yeah. take no when they told him he would not survive. He didn't. He wouldn't take no when they told him he'd never fly again. And when the Blues said, yeah, we don't do that. You're not welcome here. And he didn't take no for an answer there either. No, he did not so. yet. Oh, his story, I know you, and you already covered it, but yeah, phenomenal. I mean, most people would have given up. I think most people would have died yeah. probably in that jungle in Cambodia yeah. or soon afterwards. Right. They, they never would have flown again, oh. you know, but not Brian. So anyway, I, I do have a, uh, make a quick, uh, I got a couple of books you gave me here. One is The Untouchables, which is a great book. Uh, yeah. Really great stuff and what he did in the SR-71. And then here's the, just to show you, I don't know if you saw what it looks like. That's the Blue Angel book there uh, by Brian Scholl. Yeah. So, They're uh, hard to find. Anyway, They're hard to find now. Hard, yeah. Hard, sold out, apparently. I didn't know they, uh, you can't get them anymore. Anyway, that's one of the past that on before we started off. Well, what a great oh, segue. Really Thanks that. for the So yeah. There I Was to Brian yeah. Scholl. Yeah. And uh, this is fake. Yeah. Welcome to So There I Was, which is how all great aviation toy tales begin. I'm in Kansas City. Where's my cohorts? Repeat. Repeat here as we start off episode 63. I'm in uh, New Hampshire. And welcome back, Lawman. Lawman! Uh, I think you're the... Uh, <laughs> Is it the uh, is it the Steve Steve Martin who hosted the most SNLs? I don't. Or George Carlin? He he he's been on uh, he's been on with us more than anybody else, and we're thrilled to have you back. No, thanks very much. I wish I was as talented as Steve Martin or George Carlin, but you. Well, there you go. Me. <laughs> well, well, in your own way, you yes, are, you sir. Are. Yes, you are. And then some. Yeah. Not many aviators have accomplished what you have uh, in just, life. Uh, so. Sure, you know, good timing, good luck, and uh, you know, and anything else, hard work, determination pays off, and. Right. A lot of great mentors and, and people you fly with that, you know, support you and push you along or, you know, grab you and, and pull you along with them, you know. So I've been very 
lucky to fly a lot of great folks in the fleet, both Navy and Marine Corps and, and, and troops too, that, you know, supported me to make me successful, no doubt about it. And right. family, you know, all of that, you know, the, you know, how it is you need all those things to do well, I think, no matter where you yeah, go. True statement. Very true. Thank you. Well, so, uh, you, you sent a pre-teaser to uh, repeat and I, uh, a lot of, a lot of cool pictures from the, was that the 14th Mew? 13th Mew. 13th Mew. Okay. Uh, 1999. 1998-99 cruise out of uh, San Diego, USS Boxer, 13th Mew. And it was colorful. That's back, uh, I think, I'm not sure, hopefully the Navy still, you know, the Navy's always advertised, join the Navy, see the world, you know. And if you're a Marine, lucky enough. Join the, join the Marine Sea Eastern North Carolina. <laughs> or you can join the Marine Corps, yeah, and go to boot camp and go to Cherry Point, you know, have, yeah. you know, have lock, as we call have not, North Carolina, or uh, right. cheerless pit. You know Cherry Point, but uh, yep. but if you're lucky, and I think I think every Marine uh, and sailor should do a cruise, at least one cru- one cruise if you can, and you're you're very lucky if you get to do a good cruise. And back then we were still doing the port calls. They call Navy likes to call them quality of life port visits. Is that what they're called? You know, and, and it's a way of life in the Navy forever, oh, right? Yeah. Port visits, you know, and uh, oh, yeah. and so we uh, we cruised out of uh, San Diego for a standard six seven month uh, Westpac cruise, starting from San Diego. And so I was the de- detachment OIC officer in charge. So as you know, but for your audience, it's a uh, Harrier squadron will chop, assign six jets and nine pilots to a uh, composite squadron. It used to be all helicopters. Now it's the MB-22s or the lead. Then you got Cobras, the Skids, and the Hueys, and the heavy lift, the 53 Echoes. But the bulk of the squadron is going to be uh, your um, – uh, MV-22s now used to be the frogs. So the squadron mm-hmm. commander is the frog guy and MV-22 guy now. You're just a debt attached to the uh, squadron and the Mew with the battalion of Marines and all the other cats and dogs that go with it. And my, my eight captains out of VMA-214, the Black Sheep squadron, had never cruised before. So I got assigned eight basically rookie captains who had never cruised for workups. And it was quite, quite a... Uh, uh, a, lot, a lot of work to get these guys ready to go on board the ship. So, and we actually did first ever uh, a detachment to do NVG uh, uh, FCOPs before we deployed. Didn't have the the uh, authorization to do actual goggle ops and to ship it yet, but we we worked up for it. So we sailed. Before we sailed, I got to tell you, I, I was called in personally by the commanding general of the Third Marine Aircraft Wing. Who was a frog guy? Uh, God bless him. But he was a he was a hard ass. Uh, I won't go his real name, but we called him the Longshanks. You know, King yeah. Edward the, the first, yes. uh, infamy of well, you know, the conqueror of Wales and Scotland. I think the Scots called him the Hammer of the Scots. He had a he had a, a reputation for having a horrible temper. He was a warrior. He was a warrior, but he had a temper. So we called this guy the Longshanks, and uh, he called me in with the uh, group commander to personally meet with the Harrier dead OIC and gave me his guidance for the cruise. And being a frog guy was not at all particular uh, fond of doing any air to air combat maneuver, no ACM, no basic fighter maneuvers, no DACT, you know, dissimilar combat training with other uh, air forces. Okay. We had a bunch of stuff already lined up that the Mew had lined up for us. What? You know, air ops. I'm being told by the commander, general, you will do no, ACM, you will do close air support. That's all you do and carry your stuff. Stay current around the boat. Yeah, but what, one, of your, one of your right. missions was uh, defense <laughs> of the fleet, was it not? I tried emergency defense of the, the amphibious task force. Remember that EBATF? Yeah. yeah. So 
I tried, you know, and I kept getting kicked by the group commander. Kept telling me, "Hey, just, just shut up, you know, and, and color." So we—that's my marching orders from the uh, wing CG. Uh, so we set sail out of Hawaii, uh, San Diego, go to Hawaii first, which in you know, five days, port call, and we were flying with. We <laughs> we started off. The very first thing we did operation was disassembly air combat training with the Hawaii National Guard F-15s, the Hang. And, Wait, uh, the very first thing you did? After yep, first you- thing we besides selling to from San Diego, cruising to Hawaii, the very first thing we did was air combat maneuvering with the Hawaii National Guard F-15s, which has already mm-hmm. been prearranged, and we didn't okay. cancel it. Because now I work, you know, the wing owns you before you leave, but when you deploy, you belong to the MU commander, right? Yes. And the amphibious yeah. task force, and they tell you what you're going to do, not the, the wing CG back in, you know, uh, California or, you know, Camp Lejeune or whatever, um, or Cherry Point. So, and of course, one of my young captains fangs out fighting a F-15. And these guys are very good, of course, National Guardsmen, a lot of time in the jet. Departs the airplane, snuffs the motor, rubs it, gets it back, though, thankfully. Uh, recovers back aboard the boat uh, with an engine. We got to pull the engine. And I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, if, if the Longshanks sees this message traffic, Oh, oh, he's going to have my ass. But, uh, so we sailed on the past wake and all that, uh, um, uh, went past Iwo Jima, which is kind of cool. Did a great port calls. We did Hong Kong. We did Singapore. Uh, we did Phuket, some other places I'll talk about here in a little bit, but, um, we went to the, uh, the Red Sea at one point, um, uh, where we met up with the HMS, which is the, uh, Her Majesty's ship. Yep. Okay. Royal Navy. Invincible. Carrier, carrier, yeah, yeah. That that was down in the Falklands. Yeah, yeah. It's got yeah, it's got the ski jump and all that, and they had a uh, uh, squadron of Harrier Sea Harriers. It was a great airplane. It had the radar on it. Had the AMRAM uh, missile already long before the uh, Marine Corps Har- Harrier got the AMRAM. Very capable airplane in terms of air. And they shot down a lot of Argentinian airplanes uh, during the Falkland Islands War. So very capable pilots. In fact, a couple of the guys in that squadron uh, were combat veterans from the Falklands. They were kind of legendary. And the uh, British uh, Royal Navy. Well, they and must have been really young during the Falkland War. Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, they were. Yeah. So anyway, they uh, uh, we get over there and we cross deck. We call it a cross deck. So we take our jets and we fly over to the HMS Invincible where we just ski jump off, which is pretty cool for my guys. Uh, and we uh, spent about a week there, went, took a bunch of Marines and having a great time. And the culture on a Royal Navy ship as compared to U.S. Navy or take the Italian Navy, the French Navy, the Spanish. And I've trained on the Italian ships with Harrier guys. I've trained on Spanish ships. It's a whole different world. They go back, of course, centuries predating U.S. Navy, even the colonial, you know, continental Navy. And they've got a lot of traditions that they still adhere to at sea, including alcohol. You know, you can, uh, they consume, they they eat very well on these, uh, especially the officers on these foreign uh, ships uh, and they drink, they have, they consume alcohol almost on a daily basis, wine for dinner. They got a bar. It's a whole different uh, mentality. So, you know, U S Navy, if you're at sea for 45 consecutive days, you get a still beach picnic and uh, two beers per person, right? You guys have seen this for all your experiences. Yeah. So, if you've been to sea for 45 days in the United States Navy, you're deployed. They have a, they'll shut down flight offs or anything else. They do a spill, still beach picnic. And I sent a couple of black and white folders from our cruise. Yeah. So book on that. Good. 
And uh, you stand in line. This Going back to Desert Storm, Desert Shield on the USS NASA, we did 100 consecutive days to see. We did two consecutive 45-day beer days. And when Marines know you don't drink alcohol, they, they, hey, lawman doesn't drink alcohol. Weeks prior to that, they're coming up to you. Hey, sir, what are you going to do with your two beers? And the other officer, hey, lawman, we, I know you don't drink. What are you going to do with your two beers? And I'd always give them some meritorious Marine. So you stand in line with your ID card. You stand in front of the table in front of Navy chiefs or gunnery sergeants, and you hand your ID card, and they give you two beers. Uh, I don't think you get a choice. And then the guys either sip them or they'll guzzle them. And you'll see some Marines here. Uh, some of these photographs, uh, with, I think there's beer cans and they're hanging around enjoying their beers. So that's the U.S. Navy policy. No alcohol on board the ship unless the Navy gives it to you. Of course, some guys cheat, I think, and they sm- smuggle alcohol in into their staterooms and, and probably use some of that if they can. But the Royal Navy has it on a daily basis. So we had a great dinner one night with the uh, uh, the Brits hosted us in the wardroom and they serve you. Unlike the U.S. Navy, you pick up a tray and you go through the wardroom and you they have guys standing by there and they give you chow and you pay almost some of that, some of that. The, the, the Royal Navy, you sit down at a table, like a white tablecloth, and these stewards like uh, come up and offer you the menu and, and serve you. It's a whole different world. So we had a great dinner, and then we adjourned to the bar. And we didn't know there was even a bar. There was a bar. Like right adjacent to the uh, wardroom, there was a bar. If you had been, and the sea state was very calm. You would have thought you were at an old club at Langley Air Force Base. The bar was that nice. Wow. Teak wood or whatever it was, oak. Uh, I'm talking about a full-length bar, fully stocked with stewards or bartenders. I mean, this is, I mean, beautiful facility. And the smoking lamp is lit, so guys are smoking cigars, guys are drinking. And the next morning, this is now in the late evening, we were going to do four Marine Harriers, my guys, me and three other guys, a 4v4 against the British Royal Navy Sea Harriers. Yeah. It's like a 0630 brief. It's not dissimilar. Well, kind of, because they got a radar jet and an AMRAM. It's a little, a little bit. It, I yeah. know, but I, I, I was going to say, you're you're definitely within the confines of it's, being this. Yeah, but I'll tell not, you that if you look at the uh, the wing on that jet. We, oh, it's, it's completely had different. A much, much better turning radius in the, in the, in the, in the, maybe in the phone booth. Yeah. Uh, more gas. But they had the AMRAM and experience. He's, that's because pretty much all they did was fight for the most part. They're very, very accomplished fighter pilots. So 4v4 scheduled for 6.30 in the morning. You know, I don't drink. I had a couple of Diet Cokes at the bar with the Brits. All my eight captains are in there having a great time, and the Brits are buying them drinks and stuff. And I told the three guys who were flying, hey, make sure you guys knock it off, you know, early. Hit the rack so you're ready to fly in the morning. So I made the mistake as the officer in charge, Major Hancock, of leaving the bar without dragging those three other knuckleheads out of there. <laughs> that was a tactical error. Oops. I went to my stateroom, which I had a private stateroom, took a shower, hit the rack, woke up at, you know, 0530. And there's a guy who knocks on your door. It's a British steward. And he's got shakes. They call it. They, sh- they call it shakes where they wake you up or get you up like an alarm clock. He's there to make your bed, prep your uniform. If you want to, he's got coffee or tea and, cookies or biscuits it's crazy oh wow hey you know i'm only a major i'm only i'm only a marine corps major yes sir but but so i'm assigned to your room so he was my personal steward which you would never get no navy unless you're (laughs) commodore the captain right right so i he he helped me get you know he he's insistent on helping me get ready i go to the wardroom get a quick breakfast i don't see any marines all i see is some brits okay maybe my guys already ate 
you know. That's so, it. Yeah. They were yeah, up they, early. They yeah, PT'd. They, <laughs> they went for a run yeah, they already worked out. <laughs> around the flight deck. <laughs> they were excited. They're down in the in the, uh, in the ready room, prepping, yeah. you know, prepping to fly, you know, ready to yeah. brief, right? That's so it. So I scurry on down to the only ready room on this ship, the only ready room on the HMS Invincible. And there's a bunch of Brits in there, Intel guys. We're in the Persian Gulf. So they're going to give us a real world Intel brief with you know, southern Iraq and with the Iranians and all that. Because it was a potential threat. So we get a real world intel brief, weather brief, and the only ones in there are the Brits. So like five oh, minutes well, during the brief time, I'm going. So you guys have already manned up. That's what it is. Oh, no. Yeah. They're, <laughs> they're prepping their flight gear. They're, they're yeah, cleaning their visors. They're cleaning their masks. You know, they're yeah. whatever. So I go. They're ready the to go. Looking, yeah. Brits are all looking at me like, you know, now it's three minutes prior to brief time. Hey, where, where are your other chaps? I go, hold on a second. I'll be right back. So I run back down the birthing area, and I find a, a British uh, steward in a white smock or something. And I go, excuse me, do you know where the Marine captains are birthed? I had no idea what rooms these guys are in. He goes, just follow me. So he, he goes, he knocks on his, pounds on his door, and nobody answers. And he pounds on it. I go, do you have a key? He goes, yes, sir. I said, open the dang door. So he opens the door with this pass key, and the very first thing I see is a one of my naked, one of my guys naked. Passed out on the floor, not even in a rack. No. And he is bare ass naked. He's briefing no. in one minute. <laughs> he's one of the pilots scheduled to fly. And oh, he's literally no. naked and passed out. The other guys are comatose. I can't get anybody even to to, to wake up. They're uh, gone. They're all every one of them, all eight guys are out, out of the no. fight. Oh. I had to go back to the um the ready one tell the Brits, hey, I'm sorry, gentlemen, we're not we're not gonna make this brief. Uh, and unfortunately the captain of the ship found out about this. What had happened tonight? I left, they had a party that continued. And then a couple of my guys got invited down into a party room with some of the British female uh, sailors by a legendary British sea harrier pilot. We went by Jack London. He took them down. I guess there was, they had beanbag chairs, negligees. There was alcohol involved and these guys had a good time. They would oh. never have that good of a time on a on a U.S. Navy ship. Oh boy! And so they didn't make it. <laughs> they made it back to their state when that's about it. So wow. I got called in with the uh, Sea Harrier uh, commanding officer, and we got our asses chewed by the uh, Royal Navy commander of the ship, Captain. And I'll give that Sea Harrier uh, squadron commander credit. He took the brunt of it, took full responsibility because we were his guests on board the boat. But that didn't uh, go over too well. Yeah, so that's that's one uh, story of those guys. Eventually, all eight of my captains got put into hack uh, during that cruise. Wow. And hack, you know what yeah. hack is, but a lot of people Well, explain for the listeners, but yeah. Well, hack basically, it's an old Navy term, Navy uh, terminology that basically if you're at sea, I want to say mostly at sea, I would think, and you get in trouble, you your liberty is suspended, restricted, you're confined to quarters or you're going to be extra doing pulling extra duties while your shipmates are, are going ashore. You're basically right. considered a Liberty risk and you've been put in hack. You have no Liberty. You have no privileges. You're basically going to be on duty. So all of my guys at some point on their first cruise got put in hack by the ACE commander who had no sense of humor in it to begin with. So he had very little, very little tolerance for any shenanigans ashore. And uh, all of my guys eventually got into shenanigans at some point. You know, you guys at, go ahead. Ace commander. Ace. Ace, yeah. Air 
combat element. So Thank you got you. the uh, yeah, yeah, you got the wing, you got the the air guys, and you got the ground guys. The GCEs, the ground combat element, mm-hmm. to be a lieutenant colonel, battalion commander with a mew. I think we covered that acronym before, but just in case, I wanted yeah, to just yeah, yeah. make sure yeah. we had it covered. Thank you. Lee. Yeah. So uh, that's that's kind of the the difference uh, kind of culturally between. And so I learned from that experience now. <laughs> As a major, I said, well, I've done two and a half years at sea on amphibious ships. I went back and told my guys, this is why the Navy doesn't give you guys alcohol. Because you can't handle it. You guys abuse it. You proved you know, it. Like, you proved the point. <laughs> <laughs> this is why the U.S. Navy can't can't give you guys alcohol. Now, maybe if you had it for you know centuries, maybe they would, you know, people would have a, a better tolerance or not to abuse like kids in a candy store. You know, you can't have any chocolate, then they finally get chocolate and they overindulge in it. I don't know. But I could see why the U.S. Navy really, because Americans, I'm not knocking American sailors and Marines, but I'm telling you, those guys did not do well first time being open, exposed to volumes of alcohol while deployed at sea. And then when we're getting ready to leave the ship, a week later, it was like a mutiny, including every single enlisted Marine that took aboard that ship to make them, my guys, man up their jets and fly their jets off this beautiful <laughs> a British Royal Navy cruise ship. Yeah, you know, Royal Navy. So, so they have to leave at gunpoint there? Uh, get off my boat. Back to the USS Boxer. We don't want to go back to the Boxer. The Boxer sucks. I know it yeah. sucks, but you're getting your asses back to the Boxer, including the Marines. Get on board those helicopters. They blew some 53s over to offload the Marines back to the Boxer. It was basically a mutiny. Order these Marines. Get back to the U.S. Navy boat. We're going back. Oh, come on, sir. I, I, no, it was I, a different world. You know, I, I had uh, just a flash there. I can relate. We we took some airplanes when we Westpac down to Australia for 45 days. And Ooh, yeah. at the end of that time, uh, we had a hard time rounding up our troops and getting them to get back on the KC-10. Let's go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it looked like we were leaving Cherry Point again. All the all the <laughs> all the young girls on the ramp crying. Oh yeah, yeah. You know all those uh tell you the Navy's got it if they can do por- a quality of porch, you know, visits, it's a great selling it is a great selling point. I've I've had some great port calls all around the world courtesy of the United States Navy that I would not have had uh maybe being a land based uh, marine fighter attack guy or an attack pilot, uh or certainly maybe not being in the US Air Force. You know, so the Navy Hopefully still doing some of that when they can on these cruises, giving their sailors and Marines on board the ship uh, a chance of some of these great port calls, you know, see the world. So we went to Hong Kong was great. Singapore. I got to tell you uh, about Phuket, Thailand is kind of a, you ever been to Phuket? Not once. On even civilian liberty on vacation. Never. Phuket, Thailand is a adult playground. It's a, it's a great beaches. Of course, anywhere in Thailand, beautiful beaches, beautiful women. The food's awesome. So Phuket, well, we did a five-day port call coming to Phuket. And um, when the, about, I had all kinds of plans. I, I think I'd signed up for uh, mountain biking, some other, you know, MWR activities that they would try to line up for the uh, ship's company and the Marines and sailors, you know, go do something besides hang on the beach or, you know, party. Yeah. So I had all kinds of activities lined up. But about two days prior to pulling into Phuket, the Mew commander, full board colonel, Duke, big Duke six, we'll call him, called me into his office and the Commodore was there also. So the Commodore is essentially a Navy captain, 06, but they call him Commodore if he's in charge of multiple ships. He had three ships in this 
amphibious readiness group. So he's in charge of three ships, about 5,000 Marines and sailors total on these three big uh, deep draft boats. They call me in and they say, hey, Major Hancock, we understand you're a former police officer. I said, yes, sir. And they said, Arizona Highway Patrol. I said, perfect. You are now the senior shore patrol officer for the five-day visit in the Phuket, Thailand. No. I wanted to, I, my stomach went, oh, my God. That, that no doesn't way. sound good. Nah, it's not going to be good. I knew it wasn't going to be good. You could not be a popular person doing that, I don't not think. Not only that, and they said, and here's your marching orders. This is from Uh-oh. the Mew commander. And, you know, the XO of the Mew was a Harrier guy named Magic. You know Magic? Yes. Why do I know? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I won't say his name, of course. But Magic, was he's sitting there as a Mew, Mew XO. And they're telling me, here's your marching orders. We pull into port five days. We leave in five days. Every single Marine, every single sailor is back on board these three ships. Nobody's in jail. Nobody's locked up. Nobody's dead yeah. or forgotten or UA. They don't miss the movement. I think we're going to Kenya after that. And the U.S. Embassy doesn't get called. The U.S. Consulate never gets involved. You keep the peace between the locals and the Marines and sailors. You do whatever it takes to keep our Marines and sailors out of trouble. And we're going to sign you a lawyer, the ships, a lawyer from the ship with a briefcase full of money. <laughs> we're going to give you a, a Thai driver, a car, and a cell phone and a hotel. You'll be everything provided by the Mew. And your job is to keep these Marines and sailors out of trouble and pay fines if you can to keep them um, from uh, getting locked up. Got that, Major Hancock? I said, yes, sir. So we pull in the port. We actually don't pull in the port. You know, there's no deep draft uh, pier size. We basically, right. anywhere you pull, you anchor offshore a little bit. You get the Liberty boats to run back and forth. Portage ashore. Okay. Yeah. So we're doing Liberty boats. They put the ramp down on the, uh, the boxer. The very first people off on an LCAC or a Liberty boat was me and the uh, uh, shore patrol guys. You know, like basically military police. In fact, I think right. they have a short armband right. behind me. Okay. So we all get ashore and we get, everybody's got these armbands. We're going to be in civilian attire, no uniforms. So I kept my little boxer, uh, short patrol badge armband. We, they gave us an, an abandoned police station right on the beach. So we muster there at the, uh, the, uh, beach with all the first shift of uh, shore patrol. And the only guy missing is one of my guys, a Harrier guy. And I'm going to change okay. his name here to protect the innocent a little bit. I'm going to call him Jimmy. So Jimmy <laughs> was it's not his real call sign. So Jimmy is like, you know, Bueller, Bueller. Yeah. <laughs> of all the guys, this is a, a, a mix of chiefs and officers and senior enlisted. The only guy missing is my guy. He's not there. So the orders are, hey, you guys all pair up, disperse, wear your armbands. You see trouble, try to, you know, dispel it. Keep Marines and Sailors out of trouble. Get a major problem. You can't handle it. You call me. I gave my cell phone number. You find me somehow. Get the word out. I will be there. Dismissed. I call back to the ship. Hey, we're ready for you. And they sound Liberty. And they start coming ashore, right? By the thousands, right? You've seen this. Liberty. <laughs> liberty. All hands of Liberty. And Phuket is an adult playground. you got everything you can imagine there. Sex, drugs, um, the cabaret, which is basically uh, toys. You know what a toy is? No. Huh? She, he, uh, she, he, uh, she, oh, male. Jeez. It's, um, oh boy. Very, very popular in Thailand where, uh, young men are partially transformed into women, maybe full <laughs> oh. transformation in some cases, transvestites. 
not, not, I'm just saying that's the way it is. It's a very accepted uh, way of life there, and they call them katoys, I think, locally. Okay. Uh, and all of them are very beautiful. They have they're very their, their features are very pretty. They wear makeup, the hair, they have breasts, they look and they dress. They from a distance, especially at night, and you've been drinking, <laughs> you're hot. looking at a beautiful Thai girl. I'm not kidding. Right. You gotta be careful. And they have cabarets, they they do shows like Las Vegas type shows. That's very popular with the Europeans over there in Phuket, Thailand. They got oh boy. Nude beaches, you know, everything everything you can possibly think about, you can get in Phuket, Thailand. So Liberty sounded. I'm walking around after a couple hours. It's still this daylight. This is a nightmare. This is a nightmare. Oh, You've yeah, painted yeah. a nightmare for you. Yeah. There's a shore so, patrol. Head of the shore patrol. patrol. Oh, God. Major Hancock. So the, I see in this crowd of people near the cabaret on the street, just packed street with bars and pubs and everything. I see Jimmy, my guy, the Harrier guy. Yeah. With this beautiful Thai whore. Oh, I mean, she man. is drop dead gorgeous. Oh boy! I'm, I'm, I'm thinking at least eighteen, nineteen. But she was, and I think they actually—I was told they bust in. They didn't have enough prostitutes, uh, sex workers, if you will, to to work five thousand extra Marines and sailors, if you will. So they bust these women in from like Bangkok to augment the locals. <laughs> There's a lot of money to be made in five days. So he's with this beautiful Thai whore. I'm going, Jimmy, Jimmy. He sees me. He's got a beer in a hand. He goes, Hey, lawman, how you doing, sir? He goes, Get over here. He brings over his woman. I go, you're on duty. You missed muster. He goes, no, sir, I got duty tomorrow. I said, no, you missed muster. You're on duty today for 10 hours. Oh, come on, sir. Bullshit. I'm on duty tomorrow. I said, no. I had his armband. I said, here's your dang armband. You go find, you know, staff sergeant, gunnery sergeant, such and such. You team up with him. You're on duty. Ditch the beer. Ditch the whore. Come on, sir. Look at her. Oh, my God. (laughs) Kiss her goodbye. You're on duty. Oh, come on, sir. So he's a... I dismiss him, and um, about uh, two hours later, I get my first frantic call from somebody. We got a problem. So we got, you need to come down here. So my Thai driver, who's also my Thai interpreter, takes me to this little strip of motels off the beach, like little rooms you could rent out. And there's a big crowd, all Thais, no Americans in sight, just me, my lawyer, the Thai driver, and very upset crowd. And in the middle of this crowd is this, Beautiful young Thai girl who's very disheveled, crying, very upset. And I said, What's oh, Jimmy's whore? Jimmy's whore. Organized her. Write <laughs> <laughs> that down. Is that a show title? That's Jimmy's whore. It's <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy's whore. There you go. So I said, uh, What's going on here? And some people speak English, but mostly it was Thai interpretation. So I'm getting this through the interpreter mostly. He's saying, Oh, uh, sir. Uh, this girl, this girl have sex sure? with five Marines, oh, yeah. five Marines. Always Marines. Thinking, okay, there's more sailors here than Marines, but you're sure. Yeah. It was, Marine, it was Marines. Marines. I'll tell you, all five days is almost always Marine, not you know Marines. They yeah. say Marine. Yeah. Yeah. So five Marines, five Marines. She have sex, sex, boom, boom, uh, with five Marines and no pay. They run away, no pay. Like what? Oh, come on, you got to be. That's pretty low. Come on, guys. And uh, I said, let, let me see the room. Let me see. So the the guy who owned the place, with the whole crowd following us, takes us to this room. Oh, we open the door. And, oh, my God, the musty scent. I go, okay. There was beer bottles and whiskey bottles and, thankfully, used condoms. And Okay. There was a lot of sex that happened in this room. There's no doubt about that. I go, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I've seen enough. And the girl, she seems believable. She was crying. She was really upset. So we all go back outside. And I said, here's what we're going to do. How much was it? How much do they owe you? And I want to say in my mind it was 500 baht per marine. Okay. 
And if you do the math, even like even like current uh, conversion, bot Thai bot to American dollars back then it might have been twelve dollars. Maybe today fourteen dollars. Right, so you're bucks. talking sixty dollars. I'm talking yeah yeah sixty bucks American total. Yeah. And these guys ran off, did her, and then ran and ran away. Pretty low, right? I was pretty upset about that. I felt sorry for the girl. This is bullshit. So I said, here's what we're going to do. And this is my interpreter. And everybody's looking at me. I got a 40, 50 Thai people looking at me who are supporting this girl. You're the sheriff. I said, I am going to pay. I am going to pay for your, the Marines. So I get the, hey, lawyer, give me, give me the, you know, give me the bot. I'm going to pay you cash. And I said, now you're a beautiful young lady. You're very pretty. Fix yourself up. Do your hair. Do your makeup. You've only done five Marines. We've been here for what, four or five hours? We're going to be here for five days. Yeah, slow there down. There are 4,995 other guys you have not done yet. Slow down. <laughs> You're going to make a lot of money. You're going to make, she's getting excited. She's starting to, you know, stop crying. The crowd's getting pumped up. People are smiling. You know, everybody's smiling. <laughs> everybody's <laughs> smiling. <laughs> I guess oh, God, we're going to get canceled. <laughs> <laughs> we get, we get, give the cash out. And, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. And, uh, and she's happy. And I say, here's the deal. Get the money first. These Marines and sailors will always pay you what you want up front. Get the money first. And I thought of that in English. Um, and you're kind of pimping. And everybody's happy. So I walked away from that experience going, you know what? Here's major hand, major, you know, lawman. Yeah. Yeah. U.S. Marine Corps, active duty officer, department, you know, officer in charge of a heritage detachment, forward deployed, and I am pimping your Thai whores. Yeah. You're I'm pimping. like Huggy Bear. My new call sign should have been Huggy Bear. They're calling me Huggy Bear. Because, you know, for the next five days, that's all I did. Every disturbance I had for five days, every single one of them was relative to a, a Thai prostitute and a Marine or sailor. And it was always about the money in the end. And so, yes. I would question the Marines or sailors, hey, did you have sex? And it was always about the money afterwards when the act was done. Did you have sex? Did you engage with sex with this young lady or whatever? Yes, sir. But I don't care about but. Did you? Yes. How much was it? 500 baht. Pay her or whatever. 500 baht. Now, pay the whore. So I wanted to make this little translation book. I could have handed (laughs) out to everybody. Had two phrases in English to tie, tie to English. Pay Pay the whore. Get the money first. So that was it. <laughs> okay. We just, I, I think we I got, got a new record in, in about 90 seconds. We've got, that's Jimmy's whore. Get the money first. Huggy bear, hey, pimping tie horse and I'm pay, the whore. Tie horse. <laughs> pay the whore. Yeah. Get the money. Just Marine Corps major pimping tie. Whore. I'm telling you, that's what I did. I had to butter him back up and get him. I, I, they, the Commodore and the new commander said, keep the peace, right? Yeah. Yeah. Keep everybody happy. Everybody's happy. Oh, so, so later that night, Jimmy's involved again. I've run to Jimmy the third time. So U.S. Marine Corps Harrier pilot, smart guy, and he's pretty capable. Another disturbance. There was a fight. So I get over there. My driver takes me there, and there's a big crowd again. All tie. Jimmy and a Marine, young Marine, I could tell. Was Jimmy on duty? Was Jimmy on duty? He's still on duty. He's still on shore patrol. Yes. Okay. This is the same night. Okay. Oh wow. He's on duty still. This is this is the first day we're there. Yeah. This is not this is not the way you want to start. Uh, Nah, nah, nah. So what had happened was this young marine turned out to be a lance corporal with the battalion landing team. So he's a grunt, O three rifleman, right? Yeah. Hardcore, hard charging young marine. 
trained to kill the enemy. Uh, pretty aggressive young guy when you want him to be, right? Yeah. You want you want aggressive young guys when you want when you need him to be aggressive, right? Yes, yes. So he uh, mates up with some prostitute in an alleyway, dark. He's been drinking, of course. Alcohol is always involved, and he uh, they, he offers him propositions him for a sex act, which he agrees to, which she performs on him in the alleyway. When it's done, he reaches down to to kind of touch her crotch area. Uh oh. It's what turns out to be a package. A CBU? CBU? <laughs> Cock and ball unit? Cock and ball. Yeah, unit. instead of yeah. a cluster bomb unit? Yeah. yeah. Uh, he grabs what is very clearly a male package and he oh. freaks out and starts because this girl will look pretty and she had yeah. breasts oh, and in no. dark with alcohol. She, he thought this is a good looking Thai girl. Oh, no. He started to beat the hell out of her. So, of course, some locals jumped in on him, started beating on him. So it's a melee. They yeah. kind of break up. We get there. And Jimmy's, so I got this one. He goes, I got this. So the Marine's pretty upset. He said, hey, I didn't know it was a dude. I'm not paying. That's bullshit. That's false advertising. (laughs) And Jimmy's like, I understand, Marine. I agree with you. You got, you got, basically you had sex performed on you by a dude. That makes you, (laughs) what? Who do you want to tell that to? What does that make you? Yeah, exactly. So because this is the nineties, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I understand, Marine. I'd be upset too because you you weren't expecting that. I got that. So we're going to yeah. take care of this for you. Oh, sir, I appreciate that. What are you What are you going to do? We're going to pay your Thai prostitute, your male he she Gatoy prostitute, with the Commodore's money, ship's money. What? Oh, okay, that's cool. That's great. I appreciate that. I ain't paying that with five hundred baht again or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but all I need is your ID card. What ID card for what? He goes, well, I need to, I got to log this in. We've got to make it, you know, put in the log that Lance Corporal Joel Blow Smith received oral sex from a male transvestite and refused to pay. A fight ensued. So we're using ship's money to take care of this legal action. Yeah, we just got a document and where the money is. And, and I need your Sergeant Major's name and your commanding officer's name. And your unit. Oh, what? You're going to tell my commanding officer and sergeant major? Yeah, we got to tell what happened. Oh, hold on, sir. How much was it? Was it 500 baht? <laughs> the guy almost broke his arm getting his wallet out and yeah. throwing money at this. Funny guy. how that worked, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jimmy uh, did a great job uh, handling that little incident, if you will. But that was my job for five days. I don't think I did anything else, believe it or not. Oh. So no mountain biking, no no beach time. I, no, never no beach time. I got maybe I'm on. I'm not kidding. Maybe two to four hours sleep per night. You can imagine if you were in charge of five thousand Marines and sailors who were in a party. No. Take Vegas times ten. Yeah, no that, Vegas that, times ten. This is Las Vegas without every single uh, one of them. Yeah. yeah, this is Las Vegas without law. I mean, oh, really? yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. And so a lot of them, of course, we put them back on the boat, and they never came back off the boat. Our job was to get get them back on. The boat, they're not coming back. Their liberty is secure. They're, yeah, they're, right. And some, of course, you're dragging them back. They're passed out comatose. But you got to think about it. You're Lance, you're some kid from Dump Truck, Iowa, 19 years old, didn't have a girlfriend, pimply faced kid, never had a girlfriend in high school. Now you're in Phuket, Thailand. Everybody loves you all night long. Oh, yeah, 500 right. baht. Oh, yeah. For 14 yeah. bucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're all of a sudden love you're you always a long pissed. time. Love you a long time, you know, and oh, you are a, a friggin' a rock star. Yeah. So, but, so, uh, uh, can I assume, uh, because I know how this ends, I mean, I know your career progression. So, obviously, you were successful in your mission. That yes, was a lot yeah. of work. I got, we, we thank goodness 
we sailed at the end of that port call and every single Marine and sailor was back on board those three ships. Some in pretty bad shape. Yeah, but they were on board. They were on board. board. The embassy wasn't involved. There was no, uh, nobody was never got called consulate. Nobody's in jail. Um, Because you know what happens sometimes you go overseas and and you got Marines and sailors locked up in a local jail or prison. Oh yeah. Right. You know, know, let the, you know, even in Mexico, you guys have been to Yuma, right? Yuma, Arizona, yeah. mm-hmm. yeah. training or even stationed there. Yep. Tell you a quick story about that. I was a uh, uh, base commander, and we had uh, a squadron deployed, actually from Cherry Point, Harrier guys, deployed to Yuma. And we told the commanding officers, this is uh, 2005, 2008, there was a lot of issues with border issues in Mexico and the United States at that time. And we said, hey, we're... Mexico is not off limits per se, but we strongly advise, uh, you you know, do what you want to do as a command officer, but there's, you got to have some restrictions about Liberty, Mexico. Just be careful. Yeah. You know, buddy system and all that, if you do it at all and by where they go, do not leave the uh, tourist areas, stay near the tourist areas, you know, cause they kind of protected the, the Mexican tourist areas are protected by the local businessmen who want to see American tourists come. Right. Right, right. They want to protect that interest. It's bad for business for Marines to yeah. go down there and get rolled. And- yeah, yeah, they're not going to allow a lot of shenanigans to go. So anyway, these three Marines from this squadron snuck out of the barracks late at night, got a ride down to uh, San Luis, Mexico, which is right across the border. Yep. And instead of staying there near the border bars and all that having fun, they heard about a disco party uh, further in the, into the town. They got a cab, went to this disco, and a lot of good-looking young Mexican girls there dancing, Mexican nationals, and these Marines uh, started hooking up with some of these girls and the locals didn't like it. The local dudes did not like that very much. And there was a yeah. fight ensued out, spilled out into the parking lot. These Marines are getting jumped. And, uh, one of them ran away, got away, assuming his buddies were right behind him, but they weren't. He got back to the border somehow. Hitchhiked in a pickup truck back to uh, Yuma Marine Corps station and went to the barracks and went to his rack and, but I'll sleep hoping and praying his buddies were, were going to show up. Oh, well, shit. they didn't. They got they got arrested. Oh and no! And they got detained. Yeah, big time. And so the next day, we're there's muster. Nobody knows about this yet. Sergeant Major's trying to get muster, and uh, he can't find these two Marines. Where are they at? Hey, where's where's Smith and Jones? And this guy finally fesses up. Hey, sir, Sergeant Major, I know where they are. Where are they? Well, they're dead. We went to Mexico last night, San Luis, and we got in a fight in a bar somewhere down there, and. They didn't apparently didn't make it out of there. They're not back here by now. They're probably right. still in Mexico. So we get uh, through the consulate, U.S. consulate embassy. We determine yes, there are two U.S. Marines detained by the Federals, Federales, oh. at a federal prison in San Luis, Mexico, for assault with a deadly weapon. Oh, they claimed that they had uh, had a knife and cut somebody in the parking lot. Oh boy! So I get a Spanish-speaking CID officer. And uh, we go through some tra- translations and find out what they want is they want uh, it's only three hundred dollars a piece cash American okay. three hundred dollars cash you could probably get your Marines back you know, yeah. these two Americans so <laughs> probably I get this in civilian attire because you can't go to Mexico oh and, yeah you know, even to this day uh, I'll come back to that the yeah. the, the, uh, the culture there is is different than other co- companies that uh, countries that we have relations with militarily. So I get in a pickup truck with this Spanish speaking CID officer in civilian attire. We $600 cash. We drive into San Luis. We meet up with these federales doing these beautiful Ford F-150 pickup trucks. 
nice guns. And these guys are really well equipped, really well. I mean, nice clothes, cowboy boots, no uniforms. It's all civilian attire also. Right. They drive us to this prison where we wait for a while, and then they bring these two Marines. This is in the summertime. And like August, July. Yeah. You know, near the Arizona mm-hmm. border. 130 degrees. Oh, yeah. These two guys had been had the shit beat out of them. These guys looked pretty bad. They were really in bad shape. And they started telling me, and they, you know, hey, what was going on? They've been detained in this open air prison yard with hundreds of other uh, inmates, if you will. Uh, one or two toilets, no toilet paper. If you used the uh, the crapper, you could wash your hands in the toilet. Oh, that's no nice. Sanitary devices. They had a. They would pass around a milk carton of water that you share with everybody else. So they did provide you water, a little bit of food, and they were not very welcome there. Uh, so they were anxious to get out of there. So the deal was worked out. They would sign a confession in Spanish that they confessed to the crimes. Uh-huh. We would pay the three hundred dollars, and they would come back to the United States with me. Well, one guy insisted on having the entire confession read to him, translated in English, and it basically said assault with a deadly weapon, you know, attempt to commit murder or some crap like that. And this young Marine, you know, Lance Cooper from, you know, somewhere in Indiana says, I'm not, I didn't do that. I am not signing this confession. That's bullshit. I didn't do any of that stuff. I was a victim. I got my ass beat <laughs> trying to get out of there. I said, okay, here's the deal then. You don't sign the confession. I'll leave you here. Good luck with the uh, Mexican justice system and, fe- you know, federal prison system. Yeah. I said, I said, who cares? Sign the damn confession so you're a convicted felon yeah. in Mexico. <laughs> don't yeah, go don't back, go back to, to Mexico. Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he uh, he, he signed wow. it, and we paid the $600 and, and brought them back to uh, the States. But yeah, some places you go, you're, you know, you can end up in, in serious trouble outside of this country yeah. as an American service member. Good luck. You don't always have those, remember those SOFA agreements, right. status right. of yeah, forces yeah, yeah, agreements, yeah. like right. and other right. countries. We don't have that everywhere. I went to Borders Commander Conference. I was in Yuma with the uh, Fifth Army uh, through NORTHCOM. They do that once a year. Uh, and it's a three-star general heads it up in the uh, U.S. Army. They've been since since uh, Blackjack Persian, expeditionary, punitive expedition into Mexico. Right, right. Pancho Villa invaded, what, Arizona, New Mexico, and there were some border fatalities. Remember that? Right. Old, yeah. old, yeah. old uh, history. Yep. Turn of the century. Turn of the century. Yeah, yeah. So Black Jack Persian was sent down there by the president to, to try to round up Pancho Villa and his bandits and all that. And there were some other more killing than shootings and all that. Right. Um, they've been in charge. That that Fifth Army out of uh, Fort Sam Houston thing in San Antonio has been in charge of those relations with Mexico's ever since. So every year they hold a border conference in the United States. They bring up all these Mexican generals, Air Force and Army to the States. And the next year they have it. In Mexico, we do it in Monterey. I was invited. I'm the very first ever Marine base commander to get invited to the conference. And I went down there. We civilian attire only yep. in the hotel until we're in the hotel. And then we could put a uniform on for this first luncheon with these guys. So here's Colonel Hancock, USMC, at a table with Mexican generals and who were both Army, Mexican Army and Mexican Air Force. And the Army ran the show. Trust me, the Mexican Air Force was, was subservient beyond a doubt, to the Mexican Army. Wow. And the senior guy at my table was this two- or three-star general with, of course, you know, <laughs> two, uh, you know, yeah. chest full of ribbons and medals, although I'm, I'm not sure of any wars that Mexico's been in uh, in quite a while. 
And um, he spoke fluent English. The Alamo. Yeah, he was very good. His English was impeccable. Uh, he'd done a tour, I think, at the uh, U.S. Uh, the Pentagon, Mexican. Uh, I mean, the Mexican uh, Embassy in Washington D.C. And I was supposed to approach him with the idea of doing bilateral training, United States military coming to Mexico and doing some training, or vice versa, them coming to the border and training with us because we share a common border. I was told by Northcom commanding, you know, the four-star approach this idea with your Mexican counterparts about us break the ice and start doing some bilateral training. So I brought that topic up during lunch with these Mexican generals. And um, this guy says to me, he says, that will never, ever happen. I said, well, why is that? <laughs> he said, the Mexican-American War, what, 1840s? Remember that? Yep. He goes, you Americans, that is old history. That's You don't even think about that stuff anymore. He goes, for us Mexicans, this is in like, what, 2006, maybe? Okay. He said, that happened yesterday. That happened yesterday. He said, American soldiers and Marines killing and fighting Mexican soldiers and civilians in Mexico on sovereign Mexican land. And you know what he said to me next? He goes, from the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli. He knew the Marine Corps fighting song. He goes, even your fighting <laughs> yeah. song. Is Where do you think Montezuma is? Yeah. He goes, yeah, Montezuma, Mexico. <laughs> he goes, yes. your fighting song. Pays tribute to American Marines killing Mexican soldiers Go. in Mexico. You'll never, you'll never be here in uniform. Never. Stop. Yeah, so that was. I learned. <laughs> was, he had a great point. I had done. I understood that. Yeah. The sovereignty, yeah. the pride. You know, that's that's you sounded know, pretty definitive. Yeah. So yeah, that's funny. Holy, that's cow. awesome, man. So uh, you got back north of the border safely, in spite of the uh, short memory. Yeah, I did. The Mexican colonels and generals. That's awesome, though. That, no, they uh, were great hosts. They were very yeah. friendly, very, very gracious. Sure. But I understood the history there, and I got that. Yeah. Just, we'll give a little that. grief there. And- hey, Lawman, did you turn over command of the base to um, a guy whose name rhymes with uh, Shukuk? Sure did. You betcha. <laughs> well, yeah. 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 He, yeah he, he was a <laughs> TBS classmate of mine. Great guy. Yeah. In, in, in flight school. Yeah. You still in touch with him at all, or? Uh, no, uh, I, I haven't, um, no, I lost the last thing I knew he was a Dean at some little private college after he retired. That's what he did. And I think it was somewhere in the okay. Northeast. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I've lost contact with him over the years. Yeah. Myself. Yeah. Another, another great American, great guy. So yeah, yeah. I was very fortunate to have that. That's a good, that's a good, uh, three year tour. If you want to fly airplanes and, and, uh, have a good time and, and, uh, and do not some deploy. Whole- <laughs> and not yeah, not the blower. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Let's stop and take just a couple minutes to remind folks that if you want to help out the show, you can. You can help us by visiting the folks that help make this show possible every week. Hey, Fig. Have you heard about Factor? It's America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. They deliver these amazing meals straight to your door. Oh, really? That could be a game changer for us pilots constantly on the go and all. Absolutely. And during the prime spring season, when we need convenient meals to fuel us for our flights, Factor can be a lifesaver. No more worrying about finding wholesome food when we're in a hurry. I couldn't agree more. With Factor, we can skip the grocery store, skip the chopping, prepping, and have so much time. Just imagine the convenience of having ready-to-eat meals. And the best part is that their meals are fresh, never frozen, and ready in just two minutes. No need to sacrifice taste or quality when we're pressed for time. 
That's true. Plus, they offer different options to cater to our dietary needs and goals. If we're watching our calorie intake, they have calorie smart meals with around or less than 550 calories per serving. And for those days when we need an extra boost of energy, their Protein Plus meals with 30 grams of protein or more per serving will come in handy. It's perfect for keeping us alert and focused during our flights. Absolutely, repeat. With Factor's diverse menu, we don't get bored either. They have options that fit different lifestyles, including keto, vegan, plus veggie and more. It's like having a personal chef. Don't forget the add-ons. We can supplement our meals with breakfast items like their delicious apple cinnamon pancakes or replenish our snack supply with their assortment of 45-plus options. That sounds like a dream come true. Not only is Factor a convenient choice, but it's also a sustainable one. They offset their delivery emissions, source renewable electricity, and even offer sustainably sourced seafood in their meals. Oh, that's fantastic to hear. So let's head to factormeals.com slash so there I was 50, five zero, and use the code so there I was 50 to get 50% off our first box. It's time for us to enjoy delicious meals without the hassle. I'm with you, repeat. Code so there I was 50 at factormeals.com slash so there I was 50 for 50% off your first box. Let's savor every bite and keep soaring through the skies with full bellies. Cheers to that, Fig. Here's the fueling up, saving time, and conquering the skies with Factor by our side. Next up, we have a great recommendation for you all. This Week in Technology, better known as the Twit Network. When it comes to Apple, these guys know what they're talking about. Leo Laporte of the Twit bought his first Mac over 40 years ago in 1984 and has been an Apple lover ever since. That's probably why they have three. Not one, not two, but three Apple podcasts on the Twit Podcast Network. The oldest, of course, is MacBreak Weekly. Started almost 20 years ago, Alex Lindsay, Andy, Jason Snell, and Leo talk about the latest Apple news. They are Apple fans, but not Apple fanboys. They call it as they see it, and sometimes they're even a little hard on Apple. They also do a show called iOS Today with Micah Sargent and Rosemary Orchard. If you're into iPads, iPhones, Apple Watches, or the Apple TV, you'll love iOS today. And then, of course, there's Hands-On Mac. Inside tips for Micah Sargent on getting the most out of your Macintosh every week. Expert analysis, helpful advice, and entertaining discussions. Go to twit.tv slash apple to find your next favorite Apple podcast. What else you got? Any more fleet stories or... Want to talk about well, yeah, Harrier stuff, fleet Harrier stuff. Uh, any, uh, you know what? Let's. What, what was the what was the joke or funny story you told when you got asked uh, to tell a funny story about your time with the Highway Patrol in your Blue Angel ah, interview? Geez. Oh, you remember that? Oh my goodness, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's kind of yeah. embarrassing. That's not. <laughs> well, at the end, of oh, your- we're not about embarrassment here. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> so at the end, at the end of your four month academy, Highway Patrol Police Academy which was in at that time was in Phoenix, Arizona. They eventually moved down to Tucson. I had done pretty well. Cause if you can, you know, if you're PT and you can drill and you have good discipline, uh, you can do pretty well in the Academy. So I was, you know, I think very highly regarded as a cadet in the Academy. And then the very last thing you do, we did, it was a lot of fun. You get to shoot a lot. Uh, some guys are woodchucks, you know, they can, they're just hitting splinters, you know, and they're hitting the, they can't put grounds on paper. In the beginning. Yeah, wood <laughs> I was raised by, you know, I mentioned before my granddad was a green beret, so I could shoot. I was raised to shoot. Yeah. So you could shoot. And the driving was fun. They give us these old beat up highway patrol cars. And we drove on this place called the foggy bottom. 
near Luke Air Force Base. It was basically old World War II abandoned runway. So ton, miles and miles of asphalt. And you're either driving a car or you're changing tires. They had a semi-truck out there full of spare tires. And you're <laughs> chasing another, uh, an instructor. He's the bad guy. So you're with an instructor in your right seat. You're driving, chasing this guy. I mean, reckless speed of heat, crazy stuff. And they had the oil slick. You know, it was a lot of fun. So Kennedy, you got to drive fast like a maniac, got to shoot, uh, some hand-to-hand combat stuff. But the, the all that first day stuff and all the other law stuff. But the very, at the end, it was culmination was like the graduation exercise. And they called it uh, stop and approach where you okay. were given these scenarios that you didn't know nothing about. So you're all we're wearing jeans and T-shirts. We had your gun belt on, of course, blanks, no live ammo. Yeah. That was very careful. All these patrol girls, that same place, these abandoned Air Force runways. And you would be assigned an instructor to come up to, okay, Cadet Smith. And you'd walk up and he'd say, here, he had a clipboard and he'd read you a scenario. Here's all you know. Because sometimes the police officer, you don't get a lot of information. You get a call, yeah. right? You don't know what right. you know. And then see how you handle it. And it could be something very simple to uh, a felony where maybe violence is involved. So they told me before we started this, uh, you know, three or four of the exercise, we think you're going to do pretty well. So we're going to hold you off to the end. We, we're very confident you're probably going to sell through this thing. You know, so, hey, appreciate the vote of confidence. So guys, I'm watching other guys called out and and uh, going through all these scenarios. And then you get graded. And I think you had the. You had five events and you had to pass three out of five to graduate. Okay. okay? You had to pass three out of five of these events, scenarios. So like day three is almost like the last day. They finally, hey, Hancock, get up here. So I go up there and uh, and I got this uh, guy and, you know, civilian. he's a trooper in civilian attire. And uh, he says, oh, here's a scenario. You're in a patrol car and you get a call for a disturbance at a rest area. There's a, there's a fight at a rest area on the highway. So drive this way and sure as heck down off the, you know, in the dirt off this runway was this, you know, the, the make-believe rest area. And there's a couple cars there and there's two guys rolling around in the dirt, beating the shit out of each other. They're all actors, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're cops or they're dispatchers. And there's a woman there. She's yelling. She's hysterical. She's screaming and crying. Oh my God. He's beating the hell out of him. Get him off him. Get him off him. So I run up and yell. He's, Hey, knock it off guys. Knock it off. They ignore me completely. So I tried to get in there and actually pull the one guy off the other guy, right? These guys are clearly fighting each other. Okay. So when I pull the one guy off and try to subdue him, and I got him in a pretty good chokehold, I'm controlling him. The other guy gets off the ground and jumps me. Now I'm fighting two of these guys. These are big guys. I weigh 140 yeah. pounds, right? So what the heck? Turns out they're brothers. They're drunk and stupid. They fight every Friday night. It's the wife, of the other girl is the wife of one of them. This is a, like a reoccurring yeah. thing. And I'm in the middle of this family fight now. And these guys are, you know, they're not really beating up. But you're kind of punching me a <laughs> yeah. little bit. They were having business. a party and you weren't invited. A, these guys <laughs> probably got a total of 400 pounds of mass and muscle. And they're all over me, 140 pound, <laughs> you know, cadet. And I'm not winning. I'm not, I'm not doing well. And so one guy pins me down and the wife is also sitting. And she weighed about two and a quarter herself, maybe. She's on me too. The other guy jumps up. His name. I'm not making this up because I just used it, but his name in the scenario was Jimmy. Jimmy. So Jimmy jumps in my patrol car. Because you remember <laughs> that the guy who's evaluating me, he's not really there. I'm a yeah, solo. Yeah. Patrol. Right, right. He jumps in my patrol car and starts driving around us in circles. <laughs> you know, honking the horn. And he's a cop, so he knows he's turned the siren on. And, <laughs> and, 
the lights going. And he's yelling at the window, look at me. Or he's, he's on his brother with Jimmy. Look at me, Jimmy. I'm a cop. I'm a cop. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and he's making yeah. fun of me. It's, it's, it's embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> and I look, I did peek up at the evaluator. He's got his clipboard and he's shaking his head and he's making notes. <laughs> this is not going well. I'm not controlling no. this situation at all. And so I finally, out of desperation, get free of the other asshole who's got me yeah. pinned down. I do break free from him. I still have my service revolver strapped to my hips on a high res holster with a thumb brake. And in my mind, this is really sounds bad. This guy's got my patrol car and he's got my yeah. shotgun. Yeah. Right. Two, he is technically, two, he's a felon. He is still in weapons. my patrol yes. car. So he's dry. As he drives past me, woo, 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 still yelling at the window. Look at me, Jimmy. I'm a cop. I'm a cop. <laughs> I pull my service revolver and try to get him to stop. Stop the car. Stop the car. He wouldn't stop. So I shot him twice in the head as he drove by me <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah hey i made oh, he stops i looked over at the evaluator and he's shaking his head <laughs> shaking i go oops <laughs> <laughs> i go i guess i failed that one so i got a debrief yeah that didn't go so well he's, and they learned the lesson and it's true you just as a cop you just can't jump into a yeah. fight yeah you don't know what's going on you never know who's who's right. who and anyway so I, it's okay, like he's an airline it. pilot you don't go back and jump to a fight oh. either yeah, he said, your first just, first mistake, he goes, is jumping in that fight yourself. I knew you're trying to do the right thing. You want to do the right thing yeah. and separate these two assholes. But oh, that's funny. You might, anyway, so he goes, well, that's a down. They go, damn, it's, that's zero for one. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the next one I get was um, a different evaluator. I go, here, okay, you stopped these two girls in a car uh, and you detective older alcohol. I saw it. So I made, pulled his car over and it turns out to be two very large women. <laughs> Uh, and they're giggly and funny and, and very cooperative. And I'm talking to the driver who's, you know, got an odor of alcohol about her. And I'm trying to give her a field sobriety test. And she's giggling. And then she turns nasty and wants, you know, wants to not do and not comply. So I ended up having to fight her. And then, her, and of course, her buddy, other girl, jumps in on me. Now, thankfully, I'm, a, I'm able to, to take this girl down quickly, get the other one off me, cuff them both. So right. I did. I was able to successful. Thank God I wasn't back on the ground getting my right. ass beat by two girls <laughs> or one right. of my patrol car and drives circles around me. So I got, I got, hey, I got, and the, and the guy's shaking his head. All right. He's like, I look, he's smiling. Okay. And the evaluator, hey, I'm, I'm doing pretty well on this one. And uh, I get him in my patrol car and this car had a cage. So I did put, I did a cur- cursory per- pat down. And with women, you have to be very careful yeah. as a police officer. Even back then, of course, you can't grope women, right? Right. You can, you got to be careful because they can uh, accuse you of molesting them. There's, there's a fine line between a uh, weapons pat down, cursory uh, pat down for weapons or search and groping. Yeah. So I knew that. So I was using the yeah. knife hand because she had very large yeah. breasts and I'm doing my knife hand through her cleavage, you know, and uh <laughs> cursory pat down. I put them in the car. I've got them both cuffed. Situations under control. I made the call to dispatch. I've got two, we call it uh, women one-on-ones in the car. You got to note the time and, when you get them in the car in their custody, because they can't make false accusations. And as I'm driving away to go to the pretend jail, after a few minutes, I got shot in the back of the head. Oh my gosh. There's a blank, a blank round goes off yeah. and the valet was to stop the car. Like <sighs> the hell I turned around and one of those females, the one with the really large breast that, that I had was... done this cursory knife edge pad down. Yeah. They pulled out a 25 auto. She had, this I thought was kind of bullshit. She had a handcuff key. Uh, uh which, um, yeah. known criminals to do that. 
like paper clipped or, or safety yeah, yeah, yeah. Or pinned to her shirt. She was able to uncuff herself, pulled this 25 auto from her bra. Wow. And shot me in the back of the head. Now you're over two. So I'm over. This is I'm not going two. well, oh man. <laughs> not going well. I got to pass. Oh my God. I got to pass the next three anyways, which I did. Thankfully I got through the next three. I thought, okay, that's a kind of a fine line. There's a little bit of BS there where yeah. she happens to have a handcuff key and a gun. But the whole point was, well, they said so you should have got you the gun. I guess, uh, yeah. She couldn't hurt you. You got to you gotta do a little Man, more you, know, you got to be more. And the truth is, that was a great lesson because year, you know, a couple of years later, as a state trooper by myself on the Arizona Highway of Joe, I did run into at least one, maybe two women who were armed with a similar weapon. A lot of women like to carry it in their bra. Uh, small semi-autos, like 25 auto, yeah. ACP, wow. or 30, you know, 32 or something. Yeah, not not uh, not uncommon. So anyway, so I did number well. one is don't leave your keys at your cruiser. <laughs> yep. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and lesson number two is don't even trust the one ones <laughs> Oh yeah. The one ones Yeah. And you got it. And on that segment, I can tell you one more quick story about, uh, about that. The highway yeah. patrol. So I dropped this, uh, lady one night between Coolidge and Florence, Arizona. It's a, you know, rural Arizona. It's almost midnight. And, uh, she's driving, from Florence towards Coolidge, desolate highway. And uh, I pull her over and because she's left the center on the dirt, left the center doing like 35 and a 55. Okay. That late at night on a, I think it was a Saturday night, it's either going to be a sleeper, but most likely a drunk, right? Yeah, so sound good. I walk up and I make contact with her. You know, gun hands always free, flash on my left hand. And it's just a very attractive, maybe 40-some-year-old woman in the car in an evening gown by herself. And she's first thing she's doing is trying to light a cigarette. Very first thing, uh, which is a telltale sign of alcohol because you're trying to chew gum get, or put can in your mouth and light a cigarette. You're trying to mask the odor of alcohol. Bingo. I know that that's a, you know, instead of being concerned, why did I get pulled over? So yeah. she's desperately trying to light a cigarette. I watch her light a cigarette. I make contact, get her out of the car. When I have her get out of the car, she's leaning against the car. She can't walk without leaning against the car. And she's a very petite, attractive lady. And she's very polite, very cooperative. I get her back by my car and try to do a field sobriety test. Now she starts to get uncooperative. You know who I am? I'm not going to say her name here, of course. But let's just say her last name was Pretzel because it sounds like that. Yeah, I got your driver's license right here. I know exactly who you are. She says, <laughs> and my husband, my husband is a very prominent citizen in Pinal County. Okay. He's a very wealthy landowner and uh, cotton farmer. And she was actually a high school teacher in Coolidge. So you know who my husband is? He'll have your ass. He'll have your badge. You can't touch me. I'm getting in my car and going home. I said, no, you're not. So it became a fight. I ended up fighting, taking oh, no. this lady in an evening gown oh, down my. to the dirt oh. uh, on the side of the road and cuffing her <laughs> behind the back. I didn't have a cage, so I put in the right front passion seat uh, with me. And when she uh, started crying and complaining that the cuffs were binding her behind her back, so I felt sorry, felt pity, and I violated the departmental policy that got her out of the car. Took oh the cuffs gosh. off, and the second fight, you know, and starts. And I got to fight her the second time. Take her back down again because she was looking. She was as a ruse. She yeah. played me. I get her back in the oh. car a second time. She's kicking my windshield. She's spitting on the car. She's gone berserk. I called for a record. I can't leave her car there. Local record shows up uh, from uh, Chevron Station. He knew her. He goes, "You know who you got there?" I go, "Yeah, I got." He goes, "Man, she's. Yeah. I, go, I know she's." Very well connected, very promised. She's threatened to have my my job, my ass. She just called me every name in the book. 
said, you're going to be a witness to what you see here. So I had him fill a witness statement to her scream and yelling, disheveled look. He told the car away. I started driving her to um, the uh, Florence Pinal County Sheriff's uh, Jail. Uh-huh. Back to where she'd come from. She told me she'd just come from the judge's wedding reception. The judge's son had gotten married. The local judge. Yeah, the judge the she's going to be arraigned in front of. Yes, probably. his precinct. I'm taking her back to his precinct. She'd been a guest at his wedding reception. Son's wedding reception. Oh, boy. And she made sure I knew that. So about two blocks from the county jail, when she knew, son of a bitch. I'm like a 22-year-old state trooper. This son of a bitch is taking me to jail. He's going to take me to jail. She yeah. changed her whole attitude, got very sweet and demure, and said, oh, you know, my husband is out of town for the next few weeks. He said, oh, she, I, I, if I can use these words here, uh, she said, I'll be careful here. She said, I can be, and this is the exact word she used, I can be a pretty darn good whore for you while he's gone if you don't take me to jail. Oh, my God. She's offering me sex oh. and lube and arrest. I'm going, and again, I'm not, she was an attractive 40, what do you want to, then we call it a, want to call it a cougar, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. she's offering what, yeah. you know, what seemed to be sincerely offering herself to me in lieu of an arrest. Of course, she's been drinking. She's not yeah. thinking straight. And I remember the best advice I ever got in the Highway Patrol Academy. from Some old grizzled state trooper, broken nose kind of guy, you know, 30 year veteran. And uh, yeah. he said, uh, I'll, I'll I can avoid using the F word if you if you want, but yeah, uh, you're fine. We're we're adult. Yeah, we're explicit. Okay, so he says, and this classroom is mostly male cadets, cadet police officers, right? Yeah, about seventy yeah. of it, it's mostly men. And he knows how men are. He goes, you know, you know, uh, can fall prey to uh, uh, certain attractions or you know, <laughs> uh, temptation. He said, gentlemen, he said, you're going to make a lot of contact with some women, very few, usually alcohol is involved. And they're desperate not to go to jail. They will, this could be a college girl, could be a housewife, could be anybody. And they're going to offer you sex in lieu of that arrest. Cause you're out there in Arizona Highway Patrol by yourself. No one, no one's there. Maybe you haven't even called it in yet. Nobody knows you're with this girl. Um, and she, and she said, and they will nine out of 10 of them will fuck you. You can do, go offside the road and do your little dirty deed that you've arranged, <laughs> make a little deal and they will fuck you but they will fuck you twice. Yes. Like, what? He said, usually a few days afterwards, maybe the next week, maybe even two weeks down the road, buyer's remorse. They're worried about their husband finding out about it. They feel guilty. They feel like they got, they didn't have to do that. Uh, boy, whoever they, now they feel like you took advantage of right. Or someone convinced them, they tell their girlfriend, Oh, that guy took advantage of you. And they call the Arizona highway patrol yep. headquarters yep. and report you for sexual abuse, rape, whatever. It's you, instead of arresting them, you made, you compelled her to have sex with you. Mm. He goes, don't, he says, remember, if they offer it, they'll fuck you twice. So this is all playing back in your, in your uh, memory. I'm thinking this lady is sincere, even though she's drunk. She's sincere and desperate. But I'm remembering, man, that old trooper said, she'll fuck you. All right. But she's going to fuck me twice. (laughs) So, I took her to the jail and she was mad. I tell you, you also, you spurned a woman's offer out. Boy, good to see you. <laughs> Cooked her in and she made, I gave her a phone call and guess who she called? The judge. The judge or her the husband? Judge, the judge. The judge. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was the judge's house. 
And he's there in minutes, furious that I have arrested one of his guests, not only a guest, but a prominent guest oh. in a, you know, in a gown. And, but she was the mess, disheveled, you know, she'd yeah. scratched me. I had, I had blood on me where she'd scratched me and stuff. And so I said, okay, judge, I will release her to you, to you after I do the paperwork. She refused to blow, of course, refused the, uh, intoxilizer. Yeah. But, and she is, which I did the paperwork because it's implied consent. So I said, okay. okay. And back then it was six months. Okay. Even if she beats me in court with a great lawyer and she probably will with a good lawyer and a judge, uh, especially this judge, yeah. you know, at least I got her license for six months. So, uh, I took my time. I, I took two hours to book and the judge was mad. I dotted every <laughs> I, crossed every T, you know, rules. And I eventually released her to him. And he was upset about that. I did my report. A couple of days later, my sergeant, who is a really smart veteran trooper, calls me in. He said, hey, you you know who you got here? I go, yes, sir. He goes, this is going to get ugly. This is going to get ugly. It's political. Because the ca- county is political. The sheriff's department yeah. is political. Yeah. Highway of Joe, we're not. Yeah. He says, what we're going to do, though, is we're going to re- request a change of venue. She's not going to get a fair trial, or you're not going to get a fair hearing in Pinal County. We're going to request a change of venue to Maricopa County. And based on because the judge came and saw her in her drunken, yeah. disheveled state. Yes. Cussing you out. Jailers made statements. So we got to change to Maricopa County. And, of course, she pled it out. Never. So true story about maybe two, three months later. I'm working daytime, day shift, same area, Coolidge, Arizona, pull over this nice white Camaro, good looking blonde, maybe 20 year old girl, make contact. Also, Hancock, Arizona Highway Trail, see your driver's license, registration, proof of insurance. Get her driver's license, last name, Pretzel. It's, it's the daughter. I go, bingo. I go, no oh. way. And then she looks at my name tag, you know, a little brass name tag. She says, Hancock. It's you. Officer Hancock. You're the son of a bitch that wrestled my mother. <laughs> I said, yes, that was me. She goes, you know what I'm going to tell you? You can probably be surprised here. This, that was probably the best thing that ever happened to her. I go, what? He goes, she goes, yep. My dad came back from his trip and he took her for the first time ever, forced her into rehab. And she was in California for some time, sober, came back sober, first time sober in Decades. How about that? Anyway. See, there's a good, there's the a actually, happy ending to that story. Yeah, yeah, the daughter actually, in the end, the daughter, I wrote her a ticket. You, know, you got to hang paper. You stop good looking girls, you better write them a ticket because they're going to say, hey, you, the only reason you stopped them was to, to flirt with them or something like that. You better hang paper. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a couple of things on Highway Patrol there. Hey, what's the, fa- what's uh, the fastest uh, yet or you ever had a you, uh, yeah, on the in the highway? You know, the, uh, my car will only do maybe 127 miles an hour, to be honest with you. We had a Not couple of 126. Uh, <laughs> and 127, top end. I didn't have top lights on it, which it reduced uh, the drag some. Uh, we had a couple guys that had yeah. the Ford um, Mustangs, oh. do about 150 maybe. And we had a couple of old 1970, late 70s Ford Interceptors with the big, yeah. you know, big engine yeah. in them. Those things would do about 140 something. But you got so That's fast at 40 something. That's a lot of mass in, that uh, in those car. cars. It, it is. The doors, I'm not kidding. The doors, I'm like, like some kind of vacuum effect thing. The <laughs> doors would start to expand and open up on you. You can start seeing a gap <laughs> in the doors. But <laughs> if you're going to crash at 140 miles an hour, you want to crash yeah. in a big Ford, not yeah. the Ford yeah. Mustang. Not the Mustang. But, you know, I, I did several pursuits, uh, which were kind of fun. And you always wanted the bad guess, like being in a, you know, in a fight. You don't want right. to be bingo fuel when you're starting a fight. 
or Joker, right. Right. Joker minus uh, in, a, in a fight. You want a lot of gas. So if you got, I got a couple of high speed pursuits in Arizona desert where you're, please God, thank God I got three quarters of three fourths of a tank and you can go a long way. So your car would go as fast as most cars out there, faster than a lot. Radio, but the fastest radio, thing out there baby. is what? Motorola. That's 186,000 miles a second. You me. There's always somebody out. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. You're you're moving, and so I can always uh, call ahead, and somebody else is going to be ahead of you. And somebody's going to wreck their cars too, or their tires they are bad. Just can't drive. They got shitty tires on a hot Arizona day, and they can't drive. They're going to wreck, and they're going to come back to you. But then you're also thinking at the end of this, if they if you don't have a backup yet, and now they're pulling over, chatting me a couple times, like an Interstate Eight. Now they're pulling over. They're compliant. Now they're pulling over. You're going, son of a bitch. I don't want you to stop yet. I want a backup. Keep, keep going. Cause now it's maybe right. three or four guys in the car. In the middle of nowhere. You. Yeah. So now you yeah. got to handle it by yourself. Who are these guys? And maybe yeah. you know the car is stolen. So like that. maybe you don't know why they're running. So and I'm trying to think what it was. Uh, many years ago, you told me another piece of advice. One of a big dude on the, on the, uh, force gave you was, uh, was essentially don't bring a knife to a gunfight. There you go. Yeah. You yeah. Know. Did I, did I tell you guys about the yeah, the uh, Valentine's Day fight I had with a guy in the reservation? I don't think so, no. So, so that's yeah. a that's a okay. there's a I think a decent one. So I'm working. I'm a full time student at Arizona State when I'm in the Highway Patrol. So I got class usually. I work night shifts mostly. Usually sixteen hundred four o'clock to midnight or eighteen hundred on a Friday Saturday to zero two. So this was a Valentine's Day it was a week weekday. My last uh, semester at Arizona State, it's midnight. I'm driving towards Tempe through through the reservation, uh, Pinal County, the Gila River Indian Reservation, to go towards Tempe. I'm going to go spend the night up there and have class the next morning at 7 o'clock. I get behind this car uh, by itself, middle of nowhere, 35 miles an hour again, right. off the you know, kicking off the shoulder, left the center. I go, oh, my God, don't tell me. No, I don't, man, I'm looking at my oh, – it's a drunk. I can't ignore it. I got to, I can't, somebody. you can't yeah. ignore a drunk. Yeah. I got to pull the guy over. Yeah, exactly. So, ah, dang, I don't have, you know, here must be two hours. I'm going to be another two hours of work. Some lights and siren make contact and he doesn't pull over, but he's not speeding up. He's doing 35 miles an hour for, for the longest I'm, I'm in pursuit. Woo, 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 woo. And this guy won't stop. We're driving down the road for quite a while. I'm on with radio with dispatch Tucson radio. Tell him I'm in pursuit at 35 miles an hour, just whatever the car described the vehicle, Arizona plate, such and such. Then he turns, run the reservation. He turns onto a dirt road on the reservation. No street signs, no street lights, just a dirt road off the two lane state highway. Now, I'll back that up by saying I've been on the patrol maybe a couple, two or three years. And if the Indian police officers, and this is the Sacatone, Arizona, Gila River Indian community, Great guys to work with, really honest cops. Uh, if they thought you were an honest, and I'll be blunt here, honest white cop, honest white state trooper, they think you're you're a good guy. Your heart's in the right place. You know you're not discriminating against whether white, black, Hispanic, Indian. You're doing your job honestly. They would recommend you to the tribal council and the Gila River Tribal Indian Police. You'd come in there, and the tribal council would swear you in. As a tribal police officer, so I had authority. I got a badge of ID. Yeah. I had authority to arrest Indians, Native American Indians, on the uh-huh. reservation, which does not go well with a lot of Native Americans. But I had to book them into tribal court. Okay. 
take them off the reservation. If I got them on the reservation, they I had to book them in the tribal court, take them to tribal jail. So I could arrest Native American Indians on the reservation in sovereign territory, which is very unusual. Yeah. yeah. So I'm ch- I'm pursuing this guy on the reservation on a dirt road, no idea, no street signs. And he finally pulls over about maybe a quarter mile from some lights down the road. Walk up real stout, uh, shorter than me, but stout, probably weigh about two and a quarter. And um, I make contact. And uh, I've been pursuing this guy, but I walk up, hand, you know, hand him my uh, service revolver, flashlight. And he's sitting there, hey, what? And I can tell he's been drinking. You can tell the glazed look, eyeballs a little bit. And I tell him, hey, get out of the car. Um, and he won't get out of the car. I said, get out of the car. And he uh, opens the door and he immediately reaches under the seat. Yeah. So I drop back, drop my flashlight, pull my service revolver, which is back then we carry Smith and Wesson six, you know, six shooter. Yeah. And I draw down on the guy thinking, what's he coming out with? He comes out with a table leg, like a big wooden table leg with a, yeah. wooden, a metal dowel on the end of it. Like you would unscrew yeah. from a table, a coffee <laughs> right. table, you know, about so big, like a club. And he's coming at me, he goes, Hey, I live. And he's pointing right to those lights. I live right there. So I'm going home and you ain't stopping me. I said, I'm placing you on the restaurant. I'll turn around, put your hands on top of you and you're in the rest. He goes, no, he goes, I'm not going home. I will beat the fuck out of you with oh, this stick. So he's coming at me with this club. He's swinging at me. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh. And I believed it's one of those, you know, shoot, don't shoot scenarios. Yeah. What are you going to do? So I thought, I believe this guy. I believe he probably does live right down there. He's like, he can see his house from where we are. And uh, <laughs> I backed up because he's drunk. And yeah. He's slow. I reholstered my weapon, pulled my mace up, which is curb. Okay. Very potent police type stuff, chemicals. And then the, I've seen videos in the, they, they would pay like prisoners in the state prison, $5 a line up and get mace with this stuff to see how it worked. And <laughs> nine out of 10 guys are going down. One second shot, nape of the neck kind of thing. You are yeah. done. Snot yeah. flowing. You, you, you <laughs> can't see. You're done. I took this. I used four fists for the entire game. I, <laughs> Douse this guy, I gave him a head and shoulders treatment. He was soaking wet with this <laughs> stuff and he would not go down. Like, you got to be kidding oh, me. Right? The first right? thing I do is make sure you're pointing at him, not yourself. Yeah. So, you know, make sure you're <laughs> so, Oops. Yeah. Oops. so I give this guy the head and shoulders treatment. He now he's, but he's blind. He can't see me, but he won't go down. I pull my PR24 side stick, uh, nice, nice stick out and I hit him as hard as I could on his right wrist, made him drop the club. And I end up, I found the next day I fractured his right wrist. Oh. Pretty good fracture. So I broke his wrist. He drops the club. Now he's wandering off into the desert on a dirt road. I can't get him to go down. And I'm not going to wrestle this guy. No. <laughs> don't, don't go to the ground with these guys. There's no referees out there. You don't get two points reversals and all that shit. You know, there's no points. Uh, oh, they're so drunk. I, it sounds like, you know, a 120 pound drunk woman Indian. is uh, hard to wrestle. Imagine a 225 pound. So I run back to my car, mace, tell, dispatch, tell dispatch, we didn't, we didn't have hand radios, but you had to go back to your car to talk on the radio. It's 1980. Oh, so go back to my car, tell dispatch, I'm in, I'm in a fight. I need a backup, give my general location and, um, end up chasing this guy back in the desert. And I'm basically beating him back towards the road, trying to keep him right towards the cars. <laughs> Otherwise he's going to just go off in the freaking desert at night. So I get him back kind of towards the road and two Indian police officers show up from the uh 
local okay. onion, yep. Tumble Cop. These are big guys. And uh, they're beating on them. And then another state trooper from the freeway comes off, big guy named uh, Brian. I forgot his first name only. He's a six foot two, six foot three guy. We're all <laughs> welling on this guy. It took all four of us to finally get this guy down. Well, yeah, because you got, we got off, on you. We were all blowing snot, couldn't see because of the effects. This guy, amazing. Oh, it's coming He's off of him onto you. Yeah. Oh, we're all oh. blowing up trying to put him on my patrol car. And I had to drive him to the uh, Indian police station with my oh, windows yeah. down so I could see because I was so the effects of the mace. Yeah. We broke him in that night. After I go class. back the next morning. After for class. The travel uh, judge for the initial appearance. All they right. bring him in a wheelchair. <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to class now because, like I told you, you got to, hey, we're going to have initial parents, so come in. So I, they bring him in the next morning. He's in a wheelchair. All his membranes, his eyes, all his are swollen and reddish from the effects of the chemicals. And he's got a compound fracture, his right wrist. He's uh-huh. been to ship it out of him. And his, I'm, I'm not a scratch on me. I'm in a fresh uniform. The travel judge looking at me. and But I had statements from the Indian police officers to back this up. He goes, okay, put his ass in jail, wait in court. Officer Hancock, you're dismissed. So no hard feelings. Well, I did my report, turned it in my sergeant, and about a week later, I get a call from my sergeant upon reads my arrest report. And I had the, the stick, the club as evidence, right, Yeah. with my report. He calls me and come see me right now in the headquarters. We call it the 103. Come see me at the 103. Yes, sir. So I drive over there in the Coolidge headquarters. My old sergeant, grizzled old veteran, said, am I reading this report right, that this guy, you pursued him, first of all, for like 20 minutes, and then he takes you in the dirt out in the middle of nowhere in the desert, and he pulls his club out, threatens to take your head off with it, starts coming at you, and you holstered your service weapon, backpedaled, and maced him, and then fought him for like 20 minutes before backup got there? I said, yes, sir, that's about the gist of it. He goes, he said, the Arizona Highway Patrol wanted you to run away from suspects like that. They would have issued you running shoes instead of a handgun. <laughs> he said next time shoot the son of a bitch i said he said it would have been justified shooting if he had hit you what would happen then i said well oh, he was drunk he didn't i said he was slow i was able to get away from the guy and i said i truly believe he did live a quarter mile up the road anyway yeah. so there's a lot of potential they would have issued your running shoes episode <laughs> titles from this interview i could listen to him all night I know. Amen. I, I know we need to wrap up. Yeah. yeah. Well, oh my! That was Chat great stuff. Hope I didn't get carried away in anything there, and hope I didn't offend anybody. As you know, what if yeah. somebody got offended by any of those no. stories? That just makes me sad because those go. were well, really good. All right, right. appreciate it's it. It's real life, you know. Yeah, we lifted. Yeah. We left the show explicit because we do use some salty language here and there, but uh, it's real what? life. And that's the real stuff, man. These are great, great stories. And it's so much fun. It does my heart so much good to get on here and, and talk with you guys and reminisce. Thank you. Great seeing you guys again. And I've enjoyed all the other episodes. So you guys have some tremendous guests on board. And I'm humbled by a lot of your guests, no doubt. Well, and we're humbled by you being here with us. Uh, your shows uh, have, have been amazing. So we're glad to have you back over and over. Hope you'll come back some more. Oh, uh, man. Get us, uh, get us in contact with Dino because we want to hear the other side. Of the Dino, story. and you know another guy you want to talk to, uh, Oscar. You know Oscar. Yeah, he's got a, some great stories, great experiences in the fleet. A four Mike's okay. Harriers, uh, war veteran, and also a pretty cool ejection story 
out of Nellis Air Force Base, you need money here about. It's kind of cool. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, Oscar's another, I think, great, funny guy, witty. Well, let's, get, awesome. let's get him on. Let's get him on here and get his stories. I, I got his contact information too. I can pass on to you. That'd awesome. be perfect. Yeah. Thanks thank you. You already, you already right. mentioned Scorch too. You already talked. You've, you've, any luck with Scorch? Have you talked to him at all? The astronaut uh, carrier. Yeah, no, I know who he is. No, I've reached out to him a couple times. Uh, so, Scorch, if you're listening by any chance, uh, by all means, we'd love to have you on. I'll, uh, I've, I'm just trying not to be annoying. I've reached out to him a few times, and uh, he's – Let me make a plug. I'll see if I can not uh, yeah. make a plug. Right. You He'd be good. Love to have him on. So, In the meantime, we got a couple other thank yous to get out of the way. Um, and th- I don't mean to say it like that because we truly are grateful. Uh, first and foremost, to Dave Hamilton over at Mac Me- – Mac- New lips today. Mac Geek Gab. Mac That's Geek Gab. What Fig said. And also the Gig Gab and the Business Brain. Great shows. Uh, highly recommend you live and listen to them. Uh, pl- please patronize our sponsors. They help bring this show to you every week. So by going to them, you're helping us. We have a glossary on the website. So if we've come up with a acronym that you would like to see on the website, please let us know. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me, I'm repeat at so there I was dot us. How do I get a hold of you, Fig? Fig at so there I was dot us. Yeah, and don't forget sticks sticks at so there I was dot us. Also, he's helping us out and he's trying to help us put together show seventy five, which is going to be trying to get uh, people interested in aviation, help help point them in the right direction. Fig, what are you wearing? What's that on your head? Well, it's some of our merch. I have a, I have a, uh, so there I was, a ball cap. And also, cool. I finished my beverage, but I drank it in a, so there I was, a koozie. Yeah. And, uh, Hold it closer to your face, I think, it. so it can focus on it. If you're, if, for those watching on video. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I've got a, so there I was shirt. We've got t-shirts, hats, ball caps, bikinis. I tried the bikini on it. Looks a little weird on me, but uh, I think it'll look good on my. Does the bikini say "On Time, On Target" near the uh, the bottom? Ooh, <laughs> as a matter that's of that's a great it, idea. We need to work on that. But it should. It says so. There I was. <laughs> so there I was. So there I was. Oh, that's actually better. It's actually better. Oh, yeah. In a way, you were actually there. You were actually there. Better. Yeah. Oh my! Thank you for uh, that. I, yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Now we are going to get canceled. I don't know. I wish I was. Yeah. yeah. So there, I wish I was. Yes. Yes. Thanks to all the pilots over at Patreon. So there, I was. Us slash Patreon to uh, help support the show. Something that's something that helps keep the engines going. We're very thrilled to have all the pilots over there contributing every month to help keep the show coming to you yeah thanks gents what are you here fig anything well that's uh the two guys that make the air force sound good f-16 pilots in the band dos gringos the dos thanks gringos. for letting us use their music and they were a great interview and they've got great music they do indeed and we are thrilled to bring you these shows every week thank you lawman thank you fig I couldn't ask for uh, any better people to sit and chat with. So much fun. Always glad to be here. There I was, crossing the pond, and you could see that I wasn't exactly fond of all the shit I was wearing on that day. 
Now an F-16 is cramped enough, but it's even worse With all that stuff supposed to save your life But we knew there was no way Oh, wait Cause when you're going down the North Atlantic, man, it's over What'd he say? He said it's over <laughs> Okay, that's a lawsuit <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, little man Thank you, gentlemen.